Hello, I'm Ellen Keane and you are listening to The D Word, a podcast about disability where I ask my guests the questions everyone is thinking but might be too afraid to ask. This is an opportunity to educate and inform while also sharing our stories like never heard before. There are going to be some highs, there are going to be some lows, but I'm hoping that you're going to stick with me throughout this series and become more informed and less awkward when it comes to disabilities. This podcast is made possible by Allianz Insurance, who I am a proud ambassador of. Allianz Insurance have been a proud advocate for para sport and inclusion and have been a long-time partner of Paralympics Ireland for over 10 years. Allianz have been behind me from the start, helping me to share my story with the nation. And now they're helping me to share other people's stories too. My guest today is an incredible woman who took it upon herself to make a life-changing decision of amputating her own leg against medical advice. I usually hate the word inspirational, but this girl's life and story honestly just gives me goosebumps. It is the inspirational Hope Gordon. Hello, Hope. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on the pod today. Where are you in the world? Thanks for having me. Um, I am in Nottingham, which is where I train. Um, I've just recently got back here after being away for quite a bit, racing and then a bit of time off as well. Okay, so you are a para-canoeist for Great Britain. Yes, I am. And you have dabbled in a few other sports. Can you tell me a little bit about the other sports that you have dabbled in? So I used to be a swimmer, which is how we know each other. Um, I was a swimmer for probably nearly 10 years I think um and yeah swimming was amazing um and then I guess once after I had my leg amputated it sort of opened up to other opportunities so that's where I kind of got involved in power canoe I've also done for fun I've done a bit rock climbing which was really cool and I've done bits of skiing as well. (laughs) Yeah so you went to the Winter Paralympics for Great Britain. Am I right in saying that? I was in um, Beijing in March um, as part of the the Nordic skiing team um, doing some cross-country skiing, which was an amazing opportunity. That is very cool. So, yeah, we know each other from swimming, but I knew you when your body looked a little bit differently. So you obviously haven't always been a leg amputee, but you have kind of lived with a disability for a long time. But you weren't born with a disability, were you? No, so I was born what I think was completely healthy. I grew up a very sort of normal childhood, I guess, for, for where I live. I'm from the very north of Scotland, so always kind of out in the hills and kind of doing everything outside, did lots of different sports growing up, was never particularly good at any of them, but always liked to do them. And then, yeah, one day when I was 12, I just went to school, as you do when you're 12. And for some reason, my leg basically just stopped working. And obviously, I didn't realise it was going to be a permanent thing. You know, I kind of hobbled around all day and um, I went swimming that night after school and my leg just wouldn't kick in the water. It was just agony. Um, I went to bed that night just expecting to get up in the next morning and be absolutely fine. And it wasn't. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of where where it first started, really, I guess. Um, obviously, I never in a million years thought it was going to be anything kind of significant, anything permanent. It took doctors a long time to kind of figure out what was actually wrong with my leg. 
Uh, so it started off just mainly on my knee. Um, I was having real problems bending my leg. It was just agony. Obviously, putting weight through it was, was really sore, but it was bending my knee was, like, really, really difficult. Um, and a year later, I was diagnosed with a condition called complex regional pain syndrome, which is still not very well known or very well understood, but it's basically a chronic neuro- neurological pain condition. So the kind of easiest way that I kind of describe it is, for example, if you were to hurt your ankle, your pain signals would go from your from your ankle up to your brain, whereas mine was all in my brain. It was going from my brain down to my leg. So all the kind of um, messages, signals that, that my brain was sending my leg were all blocked. So for movement, temperature, all that kind of stuff. But the pain signals were in overdrive. So literally all I could feel in my leg was just chronic pain. And did the doctors think that you might have had a head injury or do they know like how you got this? Were you born with this and it just kind of developed over time? So it's still a bit of an unknown, really. Uh, it's quite rare for it to be a complete unknown. Quite often if somebody, for example, if they sprain their ankle or break their ankle and have surgery on it to, to fix it, then they can be left with a condition in that area. For me, I have still have no idea, which it doesn't really bother me, to be honest, but I think for my parents, they found it really difficult knowing that there wasn't a reason. I think if I was to have a car crash or something and be left with a disability, it'd be a lot easier to accept. So I do think my family and friends, that was the kind of really challenging bit for them to to accept something that they, we didn't know what, what actually it was. Uh, so normally with, with CRPS, there's two triggers. There's... Um, a physical trigger and a psychological trigger. Um, I mean, I was 12 and I was just at school one day and I've, I don't know, I mean, I could have bashed my knee off a table at school and be left with it, but I literally have no idea. Um, but yeah, and I've, I've also had issues with my left knee since I was four years old. Um, like I, there's always been something not quite right about it, but it was always put down to growing pains. So we potentially it could have been this all along since I was four, and then it just got a lot worse when I was when I was twelve. And when you started to get the pain when you were twelve, and obviously it stayed, was there an, ever a moment where doctors were telling you that it was all in your head and it wasn't real? Not so much the doctors, but a lot of nurses did. Um, which is just not easy to to take, really. And I think as well, like people at school, they would see me on crutches, and obviously we didn't know a reason, we didn't know why I was on crutches. And lots of people would say, "Oh, I'm making it up," or, you know, I'm just looking for attention. I mean, I was very lucky; I had some really, really good friends. But obviously, you know, teenagers are just teenagers, aren't they? So, <laughs> um, yeah. So there was definitely difficult times with it and ironically people saying it's in my head they're actually correct because it is coming from my brain but obviously it's not in my head as in that I'm making it up. Yeah like how did you how did you start to come to terms with realizing that this was a permanent thing like that must have been so hard because you obviously were a typical little girl running around and then all of a sudden you're on crutches and I knew you as being in a wheelchair um, towards the end of, of you having that leg. So how how did you manage that? How did you get through that? I think honestly swimming. Um, you know, I obviously I'm like a kind of full-time athlete now, but when I swam, I never really thought of myself as like an athlete. It's just something that I love doing and it was 100% my 
my kind of coping mechanism you know I would quite often I would I feel I would have had no sleep because I was in so much pain all night um you know I would just feel like terrible and I'd get out I would get in the pool and then you you can kind of start to like process things a bit whilst you're swimming obviously as you know when you're swimming your brain wanders to all sorts of different places so that was definitely my kind of escape um so yeah I definitely say you know I'm very 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 thankful that that I was still able to swim um and yeah just really good support like like good my family were obviously massive help and my friends and and stuff and it was difficult you know you go into hospital and doctors would say they're going to do x y and z and you're going to come out running and I'm like well I really want to be able to walk again and obviously as a 12 year old you you believe everything the doctors are going to say to you um whereas most of the time I I went into hospital and came out worse um so there's there are treatments available to help CRPS but there's not a cure and it's a case of trying different treatments to see if they're going to help you because different treatments work differently for different people and unfortunately just nothing really worked for me. And did you have any like pain relief was there any medication that you're on to help with the pain relief? Yeah so I was on about 50 odd tablets a day so I was basically a kind of wheeling zombie really um yeah unfortunately nerve pain there's not really a medication that that helps uh, well certainly that doesn't that actually physically takes the pain away and you know the only time that I was really pain free if you like was when I was in hospital with an epidural with either methadone or ketamine in it oh my god that's like do you ever like take a second to look back on that experience and think how did I how was that my life? Like, because I knew you and because we used to swim against each other. We were in the same classification in, in swimming and I never knew any of that about you. Like, I didn't know that you were on that many tablets or even that that intense of drugs. Like, that's insane. Yeah. So when I used to, so some of the tablets that I take to help me sleep, you'd have to take quite a quite a quite a few hours before you'd actually want to fall fall asleep so I was taking sleeping tablets before I would go training and it which like looking back now is just like insane um like just insane because it's obviously I don't know how I did anything really I don't know how you did it and and did you ever kind of start like what age were you when you started to come to terms with the fact that it was a disability and that you were disabled or or if was that ever a word that you considered yourself I think I, I very clearly remember the first time para sport was ever mentioned to me and because I'm not going to lie growing up disability to me was either somebody that was sat in a wheelchair that represents the signs for a disabled parking space or somebody with a, with a learning disability to me, as a kid, there was nothing in between those two things. And a lot of that is obviously just exposure because growing up in the in the Highlands of Scotland, there's not very many people, never mind young people with disabilities. So, you know, obviously my knowledge of disability is very different now to what it, what it was then. But I very clearly remember a swimming coach who had worked with me briefly as a able-bodied swimmer, if you like, and he saw me getting around on crutches and not kick, being able to kick my legs in the water and he spoke to my mum and said oh look I, I coach in the the Highland Disability swimming team if if you want to take hope along and mum told me about it and I was like but I haven't got a disability my leg just doesn't work 
like it just it was still quite early on but I just I didn't think of it as a disability whatsoever and yeah I mean it, I don't really know what point I was like right I have a disability like this is a permanent thing I think but I think as well like being involved in para sport you very quickly learn that a disability isn't a bad thing you know it's such a positive thing and I was I think myself was really really lucky because I within swimming there's so many different people with so many different disabilities and everybody just cracks on and you know I was exposed to that kind of from from about a year into my my condition really so like I think of myself as super super lucky. Do you think like do you ever think of who you might be if you didn't kind of have the sport or anything like what you might have ended up doing? Oh, I, I think it would have been horrible. I was I was thinking to myself during during the first lockdown when nobody could swim, I was like, if this happened before my amputation, I was like, I've, I honestly don't think I would have I would have got through it. Like, I honestly don't think. It's just really sad and quite frightening to think. But, like, it had that much of an importance to me, like, obviously physically, psychologically, and just the routine as well. I think the having a reason to get out of bed, you know, obviously we had to get out, out up so early in the morning and you know I was always I was at college and I was at uni and all that sort of stuff as well so I was always really busy and I think I'm not sure how I actually managed to get through everything but I think having that things to do and the routine and 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 all that you know places things to do places to go and all that actually really really helped. And when at what point did you decide okay I've had enough I've had enough of this leg I've had enough of how difficult it is having a leg that doesn't work and I want to get it amputated. How like how did you come to that decision? Yeah, so I was 12 when it, everything kind of first kicked off, if you like. I was 14 when I first started thinking about an amputation. So fairly on, fairly early on, really. Um, but I knew amputation was against the guidelines and I was very aware that I was a 14-year-old in a kid's hospital and the doctors probably weren't going to listen to me. So I pretty much just kept it to myself for two years. And then when I was 16, um, obviously I wanted my leg to get better. You know, I wanted all the treatments to work. I wanted everything that I was, all the physio I was doing to actually work and to be able to get my leg back and be able to, you know, do what I wanted to do. But unfortunately that just didn't happen. And then when I was 16, I, you know, I'll, till the day I die, I'll remember the moment I told my parents I was going to ask the doctors to, to, to consider amputation. We were in Frank and Benny's in a in a shopping centre in, in Glasgow just before going to going to the hospital, and I said to them, "I was like, look, guys, I'm going to ask them to to consider amputating my leg today." And yeah, obviously, as as parents, it's not it's not what they want to hear, but you know, they're the people that that know me the best. They know how much my leg held me back, and you know, even just doing you know, I hate the word normal, but just doing like daily life things. Like if I was to go shopping and if somebody was to ba- like bang their shopping bag off my leg, I'd be bed bound for like weeks because it it would be so painful. Um, So they could completely understand. And, you know, I asked, I asked the doctors when I was 16 and they, they kind of didn't really, they weren't really playing ball. And I was actually 21 by the time I actually got it amputated. So it was, it was a long, long, long fight. <laughs> Oh my God, that's nine years of being in pain. That's nine years of being in pain, being on a load of drugs. And and that's nearly nine years of hope and getting your hopes crushed as well. 
It's so ironic that your name is Hope. <laughs> um, Jesus. I just am so taken aback by it all. Like, how were you afraid of telling your parents as well? I don't think I was afraid of telling them. Um, but I just think I knew that it probably wasn't going to happen like there and then. You know, I was very aware that obviously I was a, I was a kid. Um, but I think once... Once I was 16, I was like, right, I'm an adult now. <laughs> Obviously, like, looking back now, like, 16 is still pretty young. But, um, yeah, and my family were amazing. They're so, so, so supportive. Um, everyone who knew me well knew that actually having an amputation was 100% the, the right decision and the best thing for me. I think I didn't really publicise it like loads because I think people's perception of having amputation is very neg- is a very negative thing whereas for me yeah. it's only ever been a very very positive thing you know I wanted to just my leg wasn't going to get better like it was it was scrawny it was like it just wasn't going to get any better you know you'd you saw what it was like it wasn't it wasn't a healthy yeah. limb um and I, like by getting rid of that limb was just me being able to crack on with my life and doing things that I wanted to do yeah, the world isn't designed for wheelchairs as it is, but you were in a wheelchair with your leg extended all the time, so that's even less room to move. 100%. So, the world is imagine. not designed whatsoever to live in a wheelchair with a leg that doesn't bend. Like, it, it was really difficult. And how did you find, like, being a teenager? Did you, like, do all the teenage things? Did you go to teenage discos? Did you make new friends, meet boys? Like... How was it? Um, I'd say I had very different teenage years to your kind of average teenager because I did spend a lot of time in hospital. Um, so that was kind of naturally pretty different. Uh, like, um, yeah, York Hill, the Children's Hospital in Glasgow was pretty much my second home. I'd go there, you know, years and years and, like, for a long time. I actually... I actually competed while whilst I was in hospital at one point because, yeah, I had a a weekend where the doctors weren't there and I was like, can I just get out? <laughs> you know, I still have my hospital band on and everything. Um, yeah, so it was obviously very different. And then as well, being from up in the Highlands, it's probably a little bit different anyway. There's not really that many discos or anything like that. And then I actually I actually moved away from home when I was sixteen as well which I guess is quite young. So I moved to, to Stirling and sort of had to try and learn to, to live by myself pretty quickly. Um, so, yeah, I'd say I had a very different teenage years to certainly, you know, my friends and stuff. But I wouldn't change any of it, to be honest, because a lot of that as well was because I wanted to swim. And do you think, do you think a part of it as well is, like, there were so many obstacles in your way that it nearly forced you to want to be independent? It nearly forced you to want to to be better for yourself. Yeah, I'd say even before my life got bad, I was I was quite an independent person. But then I think almost like growing up in hospital, you kind of naturally grow up quite fast. You know, you see things that you would never see if if you weren't in that situation, and you know, just listening to kind of medical language on a daily basis almost it definitely does change you I guess and makes you grow up quite fast so I would say that that I did grow up quite fast and quite young yeah Yeah. and your parents did they ever obviously you moved out when you were 16 so they obviously have been so supportive of you and they've never held you back from anything you wanted to do 
No, definitely not. Like they've been super supportive and um yeah, kind of any kind of crazy thing that I say to them that I'm off to do, they they always kind of support me, but um I'll try not to push them too much. <laughs> I think that's so important though, because I'm sure you've seen it yourself, like being in the para world, like we see a lot more people with disabilities than the average disabled person who doesn't do sport. Um, but we come across like people whose parents aren't as support not that they're not supportive but they're just afraid they're afraid that their disabled kid is going to get even more hurt so it's nearly like they put them in bubble wrap but it kind of just sounds like your parents are like go live your life woohoo <laughs> yeah for sure I mean obviously we public transport isn't even really a thing at home so you know they had to kind of get up every time in the morning and take me here there and everywhere for swimming so they're definitely happy when I um could learn, learn to drive and got my own car they kind of got to have a bit of a long lie. Um, and so you were 21 when you got your leg amputated, but obviously you are British, so you're on the NHS system and you were saying that it doesn't, it's not in the guidelines amputation. So did you have to raise the funds for the amputation yourself? Yeah, so I kind of saw every doctor that would see me within the NHS some doctors actually just read my hospital notes and just didn't just refused to see me at all which is quite it's quite hurtful really the fact that they just wouldn't even see me they just read in my notes that I had CRPS and they and that I wanted amputation and they just kind of run for the hills because I think a lot of it is ethical I think there's a lot there's a risk that by amputating a limb I'm still going to have the same pain there's a risk that the pain could move to my other leg, to my upper body. You know, that it is a risky operation, but it's one that I wanted to have. And the fact that nobody would just listen to me and that, you know, it was my body. Like, I was like, I know my body best. I was like, this is what I want. I was like, I haven't got any other options. Like, this is what I need to get on with my life. And so many doctors just wouldn't listen or wouldn't see me. So then eventually I was just like, right, I'm going to just try and take matters into my own hands. One thing is that I didn't sleep at all, really. If I got about two hours sleep a night, that was a good sleep for me just because the pain was just so bad. So one night when I couldn't sleep, I was just searching online to see if there's any any doctors like available that would kind of see me for a private consultation. And then eventually I found one and I went <clears throat> I went to see him for, for a private consultation. And yeah, he was just amazing. He totally got me. He was, he was telling me things that I was telling doctors for years and years and years, but without me even saying anything. Like, he was just amazing. And off the back of that, he, he was like, yes, I want to do this op- operation, but his exact words if I'm allowed to say them is after all the shit you've been through I want this done through the NHS so we went back to the NHS to to sort of appeal and they still turned it down so that that's when I had to turn it turn to crowdfunding so I had to raise ten thousand pounds through crowdfunding to to get the operation and how long did it take to raise the money so what I didn't realize at the time is when you set up a crowdfunding a page for yourself not for another charity is it's actually only active for 30 days which I didn't realize until I'd like already started it and then I got so stressed I was like there's no way on earth I'm going to be able to raise this money like in 30 days I was like there's no way but then I was like well if we, if we can 
raise as much as we can you know we can try and save up and 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 build up the rest that way and then I was just so like gobsmacked with everybody's support and everything that we actually did manage to raise the money in in the time frame which was just incredible like it was I'm so 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 thankful for for everyone that 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 donated or shared or um you know just supported in any way they could it's because it's so like it's it's madness (laughs) It's madness because seeing the pain that you're in, like I obviously I couldn't see the pain you're in and I didn't know the pain you're in. But even like me comparing my disability to you, it was like where we race against each other and we're seen as the same because of our classification. But there's no way I would ever be able to imagine living your life because it just looked so hard. It looked so stressful. So there were so many people who obviously knew that as well. That That's why it was nearly easy to raise that money. But it's incredible that you did in 30 days. Wow. And then how long did it take to... So you had the 30 days, got the money. How long did it take for the amputation to happen? So out of the nearly 10 years that, that I had the condition, the point from raising the money to getting the operation was actually the, the hardest for me. Uh, it's quite a long story but basically my operation got postponed seven times so it was supposed to be it was supposed to be January 2016 and that was the kind of the time frame that I was told and it didn't actually happen until the 2nd of August 2016 and within that you know I was told a date and I was at one point I was in my car about to drive to the hospital when I got a phone call to say that it wasn't it wasn't going to be happening um so yeah that time frame was like murder <laughs> it was horrible because psychologically you get yourself ready for it and you're like right it's it's finally happening and and then obviously it doesn't and that just kept on happening again and again and again and then the date that I did get the 2nd of August even you know I was I was about to go down to the theatre room and I was like, are you sure it's definitely happening? I think everyone at the hospital were just fed up of like me and my mum and dad, my brother being like, it's definitely happening, isn't it? Are you sure it's happening? They're like, yeah, it's happening today. So yeah, it was the 2nd of August 2016 was when I finally got my leg amputated. Oh my God. And were you just, how did you feel afterwards? I was just so relieved. Like, honestly, it had been such a battle to just to get onto that table in that theatre room that when I was, you know, being wheeled down to theatre, I was like, finally. I was like, surely they're not going to cancel it now. Um, So I think it was just like when I woke up, it was just relief that it was gone. And I always remember that. So one of the things was my leg was hypersensitive, so I couldn't really have anything touching it the only things I could really have touching it was was water and uh like a tubey grip Uh, so I wore tubey grip on my leg all the time and actually in the latter stages I even had my tubey grip on in the water because I was struggling with the water directly touching it as well um and I so I couldn't lie in bed properly I would have to have my leg like really high raised up and my ankle was kind of like flopped over the end of the the pillows and I couldn't have like a blanket over my leg or anything like that just because it was just so sensitive and I woke up and had this blanket over my whole body and I was like this has not happened in like nearly 10 years and then the nurse came and put my hospital notes down and it was where my leg used to be and I just started laughing I was like oh my leg used to be there (laughs) 
Oh my God, I'm getting really emotional listening to that. Like, do you get emotional thinking of that day at all? I think normally, like, on the anniversary of the day, I do, yes. And what was your recovery like then? Because obviously I've, I, I can imagine people who've had an accident and have had to come to terms with the amputation of a leg. They have to they have to go through the whole mental process and the emotions and all of that. But I remember <laughs> you shared a lot of it online and on your Instagram. And I remember just like you just seem so content to do your rehab. I remember you like doing your little touch thing on the end of your stump to prevent. Is that to prevent phantom pains? Yeah, so you try or like to desensitize it to just desensitize it. Yeah. So how how was your recovery? How long did it take? Uh, do you know I love doing all the physio afterwards I think for me it was I'd spent so many years doing trying to do so many phys, so much physio I'd been hospital for months at a time for physio and I would never see any progress whatsoever whereas as soon as I got my leg off I had my leg amputated it was I was doing what I was asked to do and I was seeing results and then you know obviously that's like a good feeling you want to do it more and more and more so the fact that it was actually working, it was was just really good, and um, yeah, I was just I was just able to just crack on really, um, yeah. I mean, I'm not gonna lie, it's not easy. It's, I've still struggled with prosthetics. Obviously, my my biggest issue is my glute and my hip didn't do anything for ten years, so you're not gonna rectify ten years worth of muscle atrophy overnight. That's not a quick fix, so there was a lot of work to do there to get up onto a prosthetic and I still have had a lot of issues with prosthetics because I do still get a bit of nerve pain in my hip nowhere near as bad as before nowhere near but a bit of nerve pain is still like a daily kind of thing for me um yeah. but I can kind of you know it doesn't really bother me that much anymore and I just have to look at a picture of what my leg used to be like and life's already automatically better um so yeah prosthetics has been difficult but you know, I, when I get frustrated with prosthetics, I just have to remind myself of what I used to be like and then it's it's fine. I get around final crutches if I can't use a prosthetic. So, yeah, life's better. <laughs> and and when you got your first prosthetic and you, I know you said you kind of struggle a little bit, um, but when you walked for the first time, like, what was that like? Yeah, I remember walking in like the bars in the physio room and it was, I think it was exactly three weeks post-op and it was on what I call like a balloon leg. So it's basically like an inflatable leg and it's that's your first kind of steps towards walking. And I remember doing that and I was like, this is cool. Um, and then I remember once I had my prosthetic and um, the first time I was able to walk unaided without any crutches or any sticks or anything I just remember I didn't know what to do with my hands because I'd spent so long in a wheelchair or on crutches that I was like I don't know what to do with my hands like do I just have to hold them like what do you do with your arms when you walk and then I remember one time I phoned my mum whilst I was walking and she's like are you all right and I was like yeah I just want to phone you because like, I'm walking and my hands are free and I can just like use my hands and I can phone you <laughs> Oh my God, that's so lovely. Oh, I bet like your parents, are they like, do they get, I bet they get emotional. I bet they're just so proud of everything that you've gone through and, and you've come out the other end. Like, how are they? Yeah, they're great. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, 
more especially recently this year when I've kind of picked up another sport as well I think they've you know they've been super supportive and they're like just crack on and just do what you can do really and are you on any pain relief now um I said take like maybe one tablet a day at night just to try and just help the the nerve pain at night but it's nothing compared to what, what I was on like literally nothing so and yeah I don't have any form of the the pain that I had before the the CRPS pain it's it's more just a general nerve pain and I think one thing is you know whenever if I was to hurt my 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 good leg my 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 right leg or have any sort of pain and if I was to, if I was just tell my parents about that you can they can hear in their voice that they get a bit worried that it's going to be the same thing coming back but it's touch wood anyway it's it's not yeah the fear is still there um have you at any point felt the need to go back to all those doctors who said no <laughs> and be like, look at me now? <laughs> yeah, I have thought about it. And I, the, the surgeon who did do the op, I, um, when it was like my one year anniversary, I sent him quite a long email just telling him everything that I'd done in the year and like how much it was like just the best decision ever. I actually went into railing, so like traveling around Europe on on a train for for a month. We left. I went with my best friend, and we left on the our one my one year anniversary. So, yeah, it was just like so cool. And I've not directly gone to the the NHS and like the doctors that always said no, but I think some of them might have a bit of an idea. <laughs> yeah, they will when they see you in Paris in twenty twenty four. Um. Oh my god, this is wild. I did you even like. When you were 12 um, or even when you were 14 and kind of in the depths of it with your leg, did you ever think you'd be able to go interrailing with your friends? Did you ever think you'd have that like freedom or even that like drive to want to do those things? Like not at all. Like, I don't even remember thinking about the future at all. It was like literally not at all. I just remember trying to get through each day like and I couldn't. At that point, when when people would say to me, "Oh, what are you going to be doing here?" and like, "What can you see yourself doing?" the only thing I could see is an amputation. Like that was it. I couldn't see anything af like without having an amputation, which sounds mental, but it was just the it was just what what happened, and like I just couldn't see a future without without getting rid of my leg. Yeah, you just needed someone to listen to you. And you found someone to listen to you. What's your doctor's name? Just so we can name drop him. <laughs> uh, he's actually asked me not to, just in, just oh, in case he okay. just That's in case he gets enough. an influx of. <laughs> amputate my leg, please. It happens uh, well, a lot. We'll give him a special shout out and say thank you for actually listening. Um, before we came on the call, you mentioned that you had a boyfriend. Um, how long have you two been together? Um, that's a good question. Probably over a year anyway. Yeah, probably nearly a year and a half. I don't actually know. And has he, uh, is he disabled or? Nope, he's fully able-bodied. So he, are you kind of like the first kind of experience of disability that he's had in his life? Um... I don't know. I'm guessing probably. Um, so I have one last question. As I mentioned, I'm a brand ambassador for Allianz who believe we all have the power to write our own future. So this final question is from them. So you have two options, right? Okay, so you can answer this one, which is 
If you had the power to write one specific thing into your future, what would it be? Or option two, what is your biggest dream for the future? Oh, they're both tough questions, aren't they? Um, I mean, Paris is a big, big, big goal for me. Um, yeah, I'm hoping to be in Paris in two different boats and I'd like to do as best as I possibly can in both of them. That's that's a big, big, big goal. Okay. Thank you so, so much. And I'm so sure that you're going to make it there because I honestly hope there is, there's no one who deserves it more, but there's no one that I believe can do it more because your your attitude and your mental toughness and your belief in what is in your future is just incredible. So good luck. We'll be watching. We'll be keeping an eye. And thank you so much for coming on. Yes, thank you. You too. Hopefully see you in Paris. Bye. <laughs>